Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at frito Hey there, welcome to ATL and 29 of Peachtree Hoops Pod, where we look at the NBA from the starting point of Atlanta. My name is Kevin Chouinard. I'm here with Glenn Willis. Uh, Glenn, you, you said we should do a podcast in the offseason. Is there something happening that I don't understand? Um, I doubt it. Um, but, you know, I, I think each time we potted about Summer League, we mentioned we should talk about Delon and Gorgie. And it just feels like we should do that before media day. And I'll be honest with you. I don't know when media day is and uh, how many pods we'll do between now and then. It's way too soon. It's coming. Yeah. It's less than a month. I thought so. All right. Where do you want to go first? Maybe John's contract? That seems kind of easy. That should be easy. I think so. All right, so we've got Collins signed for five years, $125 million. I think our hopes for the de- de-escalating? Dis- how, do you, how do you do the step down? Why, why, why do I have no word for this? I, the, you know, the contracts that descend in value each year. Right. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't remember the exact structure, but it doesn't it go up and then down. It does. Um, I can't remember. It just kind of goes up, and then the okay. last year, the fifth year, the option year, kind of just is a repeat of the one before it. Gotcha. It, it yeah, but the overall value is that. I think that's a, that's like right about what we all expected, right? Ah, I mean, after the playoffs, for sure. I think his his value went up over the the duration of the playoffs. I, I think maybe the target was a little lower, and he he played up. He played his way up. Yeah, I think there's a lot of conversation you could have about could Tony Wrestler and Travis Link have played hardball once the the market started to evaporate, and there were very few teams that had cap space and. You know, I mean, that's all kind of speculation and such. And in, in a vacuum, a team could do that. Um, but I, I think it's pretty clear that Travis Link, part of his operating ethos is to build goodwill uh, kind of across the board without, you know, going to insane extremes to do that. Um, you know, and so this, this seems like a, um, you know, a pretty good, uh, happy place in the middle uh, for, for both sides, I would think. Um, and, I, and I think the, the, the really experienced people that like, like uh, John Hollander that have come out of front offices and write and kind of project these things and Bobby Marks, this, this was right, kind of right in where they had written about ahead of time, expecting things, things to land as well. Maybe the, the player option was a, a, a bit of a surprise uh, there. Um, but I mean, do you, like, I think the most important question in terms of what this means for the Hawks is does he have to improve a little 
a lot, uh, a moderate amount for this for the Hawks to get kind of the value return, or does he just need to mostly keep doing what he's been doing? In your opinion, I think it's mostly he needs to keep doing what he's doing. I think the biggest thing is that. I kind of feel like in my gut that this contract keeps him in Atlanta beyond when Clint Capella is here. And, you know, I think the biggest thing that you're looking for is that he meshes well with the center that comes after Capella. Um, and he certainly has the, the skill set to do that. Um, I think that's, that's in a way, one of his strengths is that he has a lot of strengths and not a whole lot of weaknesses. Um, so I, I don't suspect that, that would be an issue, but I, I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, I, I think he's a more viable defender with the Conwu um, because Clint just doesn't need that much help from what we might call weak side rim protectors. But you know, if a Conwu is conceptually going to get out further on the perimeter, you know, you need that person to be able to kind of pull in and offer rim protection while the you know your center is maybe further from the rim, and so I. That's that's what I see, uh, kind of as I think about the future. If Capella is only going to be here for a couple more years, who knows? You know, if that's the case, everybody's you know pretty excited about um, the way Kongwu handled his rookie season, and yeah, I think he exceeded you know expectations across the board. You and I talked quite a bit on the pod about um, you know it, ahead of playoffs, what is he in the rotation, and then the more the playoffs went on, we were talk we would talk about how critical he was, you know, to playing and kind of what he was able to make happen. But yeah, I, I think defensively he's a better fit with the Kongu. Hard to project offensively because it's hard to kind of think about what a Kongu is going to be a year or two down the line offensively. Is he going to uh, be able to kind of make a perimeter shot now and then? Is he going to be able to um, kind of use his, you know, pretty good hands to, um, make, uh, you know, good connecting type passes and things like that. So it's, it's, I think it's easier for me to visualize the way I think that's going to look as time goes on on the defensive end, but um, a little less so on the offensive end. But when you got a guy who is, is I mean, JC's got to, I mean, if he's not one of the best five um, finishers at the rim in the pick and roll, um, I, you know, he's close, he's six or seven or somewhere right there. Uh, I hate those exercises, so I don't want to try to figure it all out exactly who the top five are right now. And then you, you talk about a guy who has first stretches, been a 40% three-point shooter, and has a mix of pick and pop. Um, more so this season, I think it was more spot-up um, uh, opportunities. When you get a guy who can do both of those things and provide um, the defensive value that he can, a bit scheme-dependent and all of that, but, you know, that's – that's pretty good. Uh, I think we ever, we've all talked about the fact that if he could just grow a little as a passer uh, and a little as a ball handler, um, you know, that that would just bring that much more punch uh, to his offensive game. And to be honest about it, anyone who shoots, you know, in the range of 40% from the three-point line, they need to be prepared to get chased off the three-point line and be able to kind of do something with the ball with that opportunity if they get chased off. And, you know, that's where his – uh, game has you know not developed uh, very much at all yet in my view so that would be the next step um, but that I, I think you know growth in that area and he starts to probably exceed the value of the contract I don't think he has the hit in that area to to deliver on the value in my view yeah fair enough it, you, you kind of mentioned the 
the pick and roll and the pick and pop. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the subtle things that he does really well is that, you know, not every pick and roll finish is just a layup or a dunk that, you know, especially with Collins, it's, it's sort of the aborted ones where, you know, if you have a pick and roll and there's really good help defense and you kind of get stopped six, seven feet from the rim, you know, he can just kind of, you know, improvise into a post move and, and get something out of it where a lot of guys can't. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's, I think scouts talk about it as like a, his second jump is, you know, 80% of his first jump probably. And he doesn't have to kind of fully reload. And, and that's where he, I think he can, guys like him can catch defenders by surprise to feel like, Oh, I made the play I tagged or whatever it is. And he has that ability to get right back up there. That that's catches defenses by surprise. Um, and I think that is a, as he suggests, they're a differentiator. And then his, you know, his face-up game, you know, when Trey's getting a ton of attention, that is um, a tool they went to some in this past postseason. He and his numbers in the posts, and uh, if you go to NBA.com slash stats and look at the posts, that's going to capture back to the basket and face-up, you know, opportunities, things like that. But he's just a shot maker, kind of in that mid-range. And, you know, he's quick. He doesn't have a million moves. We've talked about before on the right block, he likes that inside pivot. On the left block, he likes to get middle paint. Um, but he's hard to keep, uh, you know, out of out of those spots. Um, but growth there is if he draws a second defender or a stunt or a dig or something like that, can he read the play and hit a cutter, you know, things like that. So he has a – I feel like a ton of uh, aspects to his game that because he's not um, kind of in a star's role, get missed you know, by maybe people who aren't watching every Hawks game or invested in the Hawks or whatever it might be. There, there's a lot to his game already that I think justifies the contract. Um, when you think about him, where he might be able to grow it at more value, I mean, as you know, as I'd like to sometimes debate with my good friend, Andrew Kelly, about, you know, how valuable he is or isn't, I would say you got a guy who's a top five uh, finisher at the rim in the pick and roll. And for stretches of 40% three-point shooter, if he could function in the short roll, like that makes him basically a top 12, 15 player in the league. <laughs> I mean, right. how many guys right. hit on all three of those? You're talking about a, uh, an all-star. Yeah, and, so, and I think the biggest thing is that, I mean, there are guys that can do that when they're playing the five. The fact that he can do it, you know, when he's essentially playing the four, Right, uh, just makes it that much more impressive. I mean, you look across the league, and I think there are a lot of guys in his position that just struggle when they get asked to play with another big, and he's really done it pretty seamlessly. Yeah, with Capella, he'll go spot up, you know, what have you. He'll come in the double drag if he needs to. With Gallo, he'll, you know, he'll dive to the rim. And he's, you know, Exceptional, I would say, at both when considered statistically. He's more dynamic at the rim than he is as a shooter. Um, but he knocks him down enough that, you know, you know, if, uh, you know, Capella's dragging an extra fender down there, you know, how many times in the postseason did we see him knock down the corner three at just the right time? He had that one that was essentially a game winner. Um, that's super valuable and a power forward, and especially one that can slide to the five when you might want to play some – uh, small ball minutes and kind of pick up the pace or, or whatever that might look like. Just, you know, try to go find another guy who can do those things. 
you know, I mean, we, it's easy with a guy who's not, you know, an all-star to kind of pick at his game and to, you know, find issues and things like that. But go find someone else who can do what Trey needs in a partner and offer the versatility that he offers as a big, you know, diving or uh, you know, shooting from the three-point line and offers, you know, some defensive value in the way that he does. Go find a replacement. Who is that person in the league? <laughs> you know, right. I don't think it. Ex- I'm not sure it exists unless I'm just not, you know, thinking of someone that I should be thinking of. But it's 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 a pretty unique package. I'm excited to to see him play with Gorgie Jang. Likewise, yeah, yeah. I think that's with, a, who an does, exciting. Who pair. does what? Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I think it affords him the opportunity to be more of a role man, but also, you know, he gets to play with somebody who is exceptional at protecting the rim. I think I think it's yeah. a, a good pairing. Yeah, I think they'll fit really well. I, I think um, Gorgie moves pretty well um, for a guy who's played a ton of drop coverage. He played under Tibbs, obviously, in Minnesota, and then he spent some time in Memphis, uh, who at the time – um, the defense was kind of built around Valanciunas, you know. Um, and so I don't, I don't think we've seen a, an opp- had an opportunity to see him kind of get out and move. I, I don't want to say he's um, really good at it, but he's good enough that you can have some options with what defensive scheme you might choose to roll with in any given game, any given matchup. And, and that suits Collins, you know, really, I think, I think really well. Um, two, you know, pretty mobile, active uh, bigs there. Um, and, you know, I like the idea that, especially while the Congo's out, um, you know, you don't have to force Gallo in to fill kind of stopgap minutes if, say, Capella's in, you know, uh, you know foul trouble you know, in, a, in a given game or what have you. Gorg can play 25 to 30 minutes if, if that's what you need, that type of guy defensively in the matchup. Um, he can give you that. You don't have to force Gallo in there, where sometimes last year, Gallo would have to play, you know, 30 minutes, you know, just because really there was almost no one to, to turn to before a Congo was ready or when there was an injury or something like that. So I, you know, I love the way that Gorgie fits in um, and just kind of uh, does a little bit, um, uh, a few, few things differently uh, than what Capella does. Um, obviously at a, at a um, lower price point, um, you know, coming in around, <laughs> around 4 million. The, the, yeah. Um, but he's not a complete non-cheater. You know, he's not a great shooter. Um, he's a little slow uh, with his, his release, but if you just ignore him, he, I don't think a team minds him, you know, taking that shot, you know, if that's how the defense is going to play it, that's something that Capella is not going to give you, you know, you know, for example, um, decent hands, um, but just a great worker, a good organizer on defense. Um, I, listeners may know, I spent 11 years in Minnesota and moved from there not too long ago and um, have some relationships there and just an awesome culture guy. I mean, just an awesome, awesome guy in terms of uh, professionalism and the work ethic he brings uh, to the team. And, you know, I think about if you're going to have that in any role in your team, kind of your third your third big, uh, I know he may play as like the second center until Congo comes back, but that guy just bringing it in practice all the time is maybe the most important role to get right from a, you know, 
you know, um, work level and teaming, teammating, all that stuff. And, and by all accounts, everything I ever heard in Minnesota, that stuff was A+. plus. It's really amazing. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I've joked about it. I don't know if it was a podcast or Twitter, but he just kind of endured in Minnesota. Like he bridged iterations of the team. <laughs> like he was there with Pekovic and Rydalitsa, and then, you know, he's there with Kat and – I don't know. He was it just. It seemed like like he was just always destined to be a Timberwolf. Yeah, and then he got on one of those contracts that was hard to move, and I think it. I think that made it hard for people like us to see him get into different situations because the contract was so movable, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we saw, you know, different contracts whether it was Plumlee or Biombo or you know whoever, right? Um, some of them kind of got to a point where they could move, but he, he was just, I think, more stuck um, than, than the average guy. Um, and so, you know, it's, I, I think it's been a while since we've seen him put to a situation where he can kind of bring uh, everything he has to the court. And when I think about um, some of the different things that the Hawks um, pared down uh, their scheme variety under Nate. I mean, LP was kind of crazy in that area. They'd run a, a million different things on defense, even in a week where they had three games. Mm-hmm. Um, that was kind of the LP philosophy. Nate simplified that, but you still see, um, you know, sort of some, you know, red base schemes switching one through four, the big, you know, like owning the organization behind all of that drop coverage. You'll see the big at the level of the screen. Sometimes, you know, Clint gives you the opportunity to do all that because he moves so well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, you know, to, in my mind, Gorgie, uh, you know, as a guy who came in on a really affordable contract, you drop him right in. And and from the standpoint of him being the backup, playing 12 to 15 minutes a game, 18, whatever it ends up being, mm-hmm. and you really don't have to change anything because of the fact that he can't reasonably, you know, um, replicate you know, in terms of his ability to move, protect the rim, be physical against, you know, really big, big, like the B types, things like that. Well, what a great situation. You know, you get a guy in on, you know, at that $4 million level and could just drop him in for his 15 minutes a game or whatever and, and basically don't have to change the scheme just because of some limitation he has, where most backup bigs do have a limitation that you have to account for when it's time for them to um, be back on in the defense. It, it seems to me as a really important signing, like he doesn't have a ton of playoff experience, but you, you know, you, we, the Hawks need a regular season stopgap for the Okongwu injury, but you also kind of just need a healthy amount of Clint Capella insurance because he's played more than 67 games in a season uh, twice in his career. Like right. he's, you know, you look at his 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 career average for games played is a lot, uh, a lot closer to sixty five, sixty six, sixty seven games than it is to like seventy five, seventy six, seventy seven games. So, uh, you know, I just think there's an amount of risk that's uh, you didn't you wanted to make sure that this was a a player of of a certain pedigree and quality, and I, I think they're kind of getting that in Jang. Yeah, I, I, I agree that um, while none of us hope that that scenario will be realized where, let's say, Clint had to miss a month, you know, if that was the case without a guy who could replicate 
you know, a good bit of what he can do from a skill set standpoint. Um, you know, you'd you'd expect the Hawks defense to just crater in that scenario with Gorgie. I, you know, definitely don't expect the defense to play at the same level. Um, if that were the case, he would be a lot um, more in demand uh, than he was this past offseason, even with a, a market that ended up being more limited than For sure. even projected. Um, but it's just uh, the template is so directionally uh, similar that I, I think that he kind of will uh, kind of hold the fort, you know, enough to not have their season sunk. If, if knock on wood, hopefully it doesn't happen. You know, Clint had an extended absence. I think they have a little bit um, more to work with to manage through than they might've had if they would have ended up with one of the other guys that were on the, were on the market. But good it's, stuff. It's been fun to watch him in these Afro basket games. You know, he's, He's essentially playing center on defense, but really more like a power forward on offense. They run a lot of stuff in the post for players who aren't Jang. They have a, a – the Senegal team has a, a ton of, uh, you know, uh, competent big men. Uh, and, and, you know, Jang, Jang works pretty seamlessly in those two, two big lineups. Uh, you know, he makes it work on offense and – he certainly benefits on defense from the fact that the <laughs> international plays a little more physical and he doesn't have to worry about defense of three seconds. Uh, and the shooting of course, isn't quite the same quality, but he's, you know, he, he can prowl around on defense and, and, you know, give you some versatility on offense, which is, which is nice. Uh, he's, he's, when, when you want, he's not young, uh, you know, he's getting to a point in his career where I don't know. <laughs> I, I think the Hawks are getting him at the right time. Like he probably yeah. has a couple of good years left. Yeah, I agree. Um, I was going back and watching some of him just in the past few weeks. I had some time here there just to make sure that my evaluation is on his most recent sample. Cause he's bounced around a little bit, you know, things like that. Um, not just because of the number he wears in most, in, I don't remember what he wore or everywhere, but he, I, on defense, I feel like I'm watching Dwayne Dedman sometimes. Did, did you, do you get that feeling? <laughs> Wait, what's the number? 14? Yeah, that's what he, that's what he's there wearing over there in the 14s. tournament, I think, right? Yeah, there aren't a lot of 14s, are there? <laughs> but yeah, that's, it's, it's, it's just, just the way he moves and the way he runs. There's, and, there's a reasonable comparison there for yeah. sure. Yeah. And just the activity level. And the, I mean, Dwayne's uh, energy is like, you know, a tick above everybody else's, you know, he, you know, Dwayne, I, I don't, he, he's the only other big man besides Al Horford that you just see him sprint. Like there is no jogging. You know, it's just always a sprint. So it's not, I'm not, I'm not talking about that. Uh, Gorgie plays at a more normal kind of, kind of speed and, and those actions <laughs> and things like that. Um, he's, he's been but, really glacial on offense in the FIBA game. I, like he's he's just kind of doing the you know thirty five year old Rashid Wallace you know I'm gonna get to the I'm gonna get to that three point line pretty soon and I'm not really gonna get you know <laughs> have to work a whole lot to get past it but uh, you know I can go three quarters of the court I'll get there give me a minute yeah but it's, I mean guys who play in the NBA sometimes in those settings they have to slow them down, themselves down a little bit I mean they, yeah the, the ball handlers aren't as quick and decisive and you know. 
Um, Ooh, Senegal's got a, an exciting point guard. I am excited. I'm all in on Bronco Badio. He's like, of all the players that I've seen, it's funny that it's a teammate. Uh, right. but man, oh, exciting little young point guard. I, you know, they're, they're going to start the elimination play this week, and it feels like Senegal's got a, as good a chance as anybody to, yeah. to win this. I mean, it's, there's the Nigerian team that was at the Olympics is not the Nigeria team that's in Afro basket. It's, Mike Brown is still coaching, but uh, those NBA players that, that played in the Olympics aren't there. So they got to get off their feet for a few weeks. I guess so. Except for Gorgi. So. Of course, Gorgi didn't play a ton, a ton, like a normal workload last year. So. No, he didn't. Um, and then I, then I don't think he was with Memphis by the time they got into the bubble the previous year. So I think he's had some decent amount of time off his feet on the last few seasons. And so, you know, go represent your team, you know, good for you, but not also at the same time, not going to judge anybody who has to kind of manage themselves professionally and, and consider this tournament too close to when everything ramps up. So, um, I, I mean, I, I'm pretty excited um, about a guy who can be your backup center for as long as you need him to be. And then who, who has proven from a culture and a kind of teammating standpoint that when a Kongu comes back, he's going to be 100% supportive of a Kongu and kind of do that thing that you need your third big, bring it in practice, push everybody, be ready to play when you need to go in. And that that's, in, in my mind, I, I know we're talking about, you know, your third uh, center, you know, ideally when everyone's kind of back up to normal workload and everything, but to, to have a guy who, um, is is going to bring kind of what you need uh, across the full season and adjust and be constructive and helpful and positive, uh, even though he's going to be a free agent again, you know, next year. I, I'm excited about that. I'm looking forward to watching him play. Yeah. I mean, I, I just think that depth is going to be really, really important. And before we get into DeLon, right, maybe the segue is as worried as I am about the depth of the big men, uh, do do the Hawks have too many good players just kind of overall on the roster? Um, from the standpoint of all the players getting the playing time they need to kind of cultivate their future earning potential, yes. Um, is it going? Are the Hawks going to kind of be able to keep everyone buying in to the plan across the whole season and? that some guys aren't going to play. I mean, to me, that's where a guy like Solomon Hill is perfect for this team, even though I know that some fans are really frustrated with some aspects of his play in the playoffs. If Solomon Hill doesn't play for two months, you know, he's going to be a constructive part of the team. He's going to be helpful. He's going to do all of those sorts of things. Uh, I don't think that DeLon Wright is at risk of really kind of falling in into that type of role uh, just because of, my own expectations for Lou Williams this year uh, and such. But if that were the case, uh, he similarly, he's going to be a guy that just is super constructive and kind of fits in. And, you know, if Herder takes a massive jump and if Reddish is, you know, is a still on the team when the season starts, has the way it looks like that's where we're all headed. Um, and, and he comes back and is doing really, really well. I mean, the, to me, it's the Reddish minutes that kind of could eat into uh, DeLon's minutes, but um they have more guys that they can play, for sure. Uh, and, you know, some of the younger guys, you know, can they feature, for example, DeAndre Hunter as much as, you know, in a vacuum, Hunter might want year three, you know, heading towards a negotiation opportunity. Because, uh, you know, DeAndre's not going to get featured as much as he might if he were on a, you know, a 28-win team. You know, a guy 
who could do a lot, you know, with a lot of touches and a lot of prioritization, the offense and stuff. So, you know, they're going to have to share. Um, um, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. I, I, I think it'll be a bigger issue a year out when Jalen is probably really ready, you know, to play all the time, you know, um, how to, how do you fit Collins, Jalen and Hunter, you know, getting all the stuff that, you know, they kind of deserve well with Trey being the focal point of the offense and, you know, a Kongu maybe grow, you know, so yeah, I think it's, it could be a bigger issue next year than this year, just because if Jalen doesn't play a ton this year, not a big deal, you know, um, once Jalen's really ready, then I guess Gallo is probably not on the road. I don't, I mean, I, we don't need to get into that right now. You know, yeah. no, um, I was just talking about this year. Yeah. This year, I think it's fine. Uh, even though they, they, I think they have more rotation reliable players than what, 25 other teams in the league. Probably, you know, just off the top yeah. of my head, just got a guessing. Um, but it sounds like you might think so. Too too many good players. Too many useful players. I mean, you never know what the health situation is. Uh, we true. You mentioned Solomon Hill, and he certainly deserved to play as much as he did, given the players that were healthy. But uh, I just certainly don't think anybody was expecting that going into it. Uh, it's it's interesting. I mean, I, I think there's a there's the potential that. Uh, the rotation gets jammed. I mean, who 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 are your starting wings? It's DeAndre Hunter, and McDonovich, and Bogdanovich. Yep. So your backup wings are Herder, <laughs> Herder. Okay. And Reddish, I think it's for shot, right? Yeah. Okay. I guess and, so. And then if we need just competent play. Uh, in a close game, so I think Solo is that extra body on the wing. Okay. When you have opportunity for some developmental minutes, I think Jalen, if he's at when he's active, I mean, it, how often is Jalen going to be active? I, I haven't done the math yet on that. I don't even know what the rules are. If they're going back to 13 active players fully, I think we're in a, in a weird kind of past the, you know, the the COVID season, but heading into a season where that's, you know, still pretty unknown how that's going to go. So I, I don't even hard for me. I don't even know what the rules are in terms of how many active players will have every game this year. <laughs> so which makes it a little harder to kind of figure this all out too. Yeah. All right. Okay. Dawn Wright, go. Um, yeah, just uh, a versatile guy. I, I wrote something on him. I'm not sure when it's going to get published on P Street Hoops, but uh, I, you know, one of the points I tried to hit on there, Kevin, was if the team can't retain Herder past the season just because he's too expensive. He doesn't fit on the cap sheet or whatever that looks like, you know, DeLon gives them, you know, some of what um, they've got from Herder last year. He can play on the ball and create. He's his assist to turnover ratio has always been stellar. Uh, He's not tricky with the ball. He doesn't have kind of a, uh, you know, sophisticated slick, uh, you know, ball handling skill set. But he makes the uh, the good play, um, good finishing at the rim. I think he was north of sixty five percent at the rim last year, wow. which is even he's stronger than than Herder, for example. There, uh, and he's a guy who you know Herder should be a better shooter than Delon Wright uh, statistically. Uh, Herder, I, I think we all think could be could be an elite shooter in the league. 
uh, Kenneth, he just kind of continues developing his ability to uh, shoot mostly coming off screens, I think is where his growth area is. Um, and, but Don Wright's a, a, a pretty elite catch and shoot guy for a guy who's not in that elite class of shooters that we kind of think of. So, um, and then on defense, you know, he's 6'5", and he just gives you a longer body, longer frame, uh, depending on the situation, can slide up to the three um, against teams that play a little smaller on the wing. Not going to do that if, for example, LeBron's, you know, playing at the three or whatever that <laughs> might be and stuff. But just that versatility. I mean, if you talk about a guy who's going to play presumably behind McDonavich and Herter, um, could give you some wing minutes, you know, at the th- I mean, at the three, uh, when you go really small, can be your backup point guard. Um, I assume Shrew's not really going to be you know, be ready to help them this year, as excited as fans are. The real question, I think, comes down to how much is Lou going to play this year? And, you know, my sense is that Lou's not going to play, you know, every game uh, this year. Uh, and and then the kind of the last piece I'll fold in there, You may, I know you'll recall, Kevin, you know, by the time we got to about game five or six in that Sixers series, you know, the Sixers had to have Seth Curry on the court for their offense to be workable at all. And the Hawks were going right at him every time the Sixers were on defense. But then, you know, in game, I think it was game five specifically, um, you know, the Sixers were going right at Lou had to be on the court, you know, right. kind of all the time because Trey was getting just absolutely killed mm-hmm. with the def- a defensive pressure from the Sixers. And then when the Hawks were on defense, they were going right at Lou every single time. Well, you know, De- to me, DeLon gives you a guy who you could throw out there with Trey as a second creator and ball handler or in the Don Trey minutes, who's not going to draw that, um, that, you know, obvious, you know, targeting attention from the opposing offense when we're on, they're on defense. So sort of a little bit similar to the way Gorgie kind of just drops in and kind of gives you a, a bit of versatility to kind of, just plug him in. In my mind, DeLon gives you that at the one and the two, depending on what you're doing and who else is on the court. In some cases, you could play him uh, at the three um, when another team's playing smaller, if the Hawks want to play smaller. And just, you know, he's a he's a he's one of the better rebounding guards in the league as well, which helps when they might want to play Collins at the five and Hunter at the four. You, you get that rebounding guard that, that can help you. Uh, again, that's another kind of herder replication. Herder's, you know, at times shown to be kind of a, an above average rebounding guard. So a uh, spot up shooter, competent ball handler, secure ball handler, uh, defensive versatility, can play on or off the ball, finish at the rim. Uh, you know, and I think a, a lot about how Bogdanovich and Herter were asked to get down in towards the paint, you know, when, when Trey was off the ball uh, or forced off the ball opposing defense in the playoffs. DeLon's exceptional kind of, he has a floater that can replicate some of what Trey does in the pick and roll and Trey's off the court. So, you know, he takes a bit of some of Trey's package, takes a bit of the Herder and McDonough's package, and then gives you 6-5 body on defense. That's pretty valuable. And, you know, but he's the guy, you look how he's bounced around, you're like, why hasn't he stuck anywhere? You know, um, right. it's interesting, but I, I think this is a perfect situation for him and a perfect guy for them just kind of drop into their guard depth. The the Hawks backup point guard situation's been kind of a kind of a sore spot for a while, a little bit of a rotating cast. Never really had an ideal sort of backup point guard when Trey was here. Maybe the 
best fit was Jeremy Lin. I don't know. I mean, I guess, you know, Lou at times certainly looked the part, but, you know, one, one thing that, that you see in a playoff run like the Hawks had is that when you put together a roster around the Hawks, backup point guard is, is a particularly important position because in you, and I think you pretty much just said this a minute ago, but there are going to be times when teams just load up to get the ball out of Trey's hands and you almost by default have to put another point guard out there. So when they do that, what does the defense look like? So in that kind of a situation, let's say that, that DeLon and Trey play together, uh, DeLon ends up on the ball. Is that correct? Um, would I, would, does that seem like what you would expect? And, and what would that look like when he defends on the ball in that situation? Yeah, I mean, so I, I think he's just um, going – he's going to be better. He's better defending on ball. Uh, when you think about kind of on the perimeter – traditional point of attack, pick and roll defense, DeLon's better than McDonovich. McDonovich, we've talked about before, he's a, str- he's a stronger body that is better in the post. Um, he's great kind of helping down near the rim because he's just willing to be played so physically. And then McDonovich yeah, and is just, kind of versatile as a switcher because he's, he is. he's pretty good on bigs. Right, but if you need someone to chase over screens, like a Seth Curry in that Sixer series, you know, right. DeLon is, uh, I wouldn't call him excellent, but he's really good at staying attached to over screens. And if you've watched those guys, Kevin, who may get separated by a screen, but knows how to continue running at the shooter uh, and affecting the shooter, even, you know, coming from the side and supposed to kind of staying in his face the whole time he just has all that that part of that game he has all that so getting over screens and then just knowing you know which direction the ball he wants to go and you know um taking that uh, some of that space away from him that's what he has Bogdanovich just can't move his feet Delon can move his feet better than Bogdanovich can you know uh, we're all excited to see Herder's defense in the postseason we'll see what he brings his whole um I guess this will be his fourth season um uh kind of kind of coming in here um, um, but you know, he's, he's a guy you can trust more on ball. If, if you, if another team is throwing multiple point guards at you or multiple guys, if you got a, like a Kawhi at a PG and you just need more point of attack defense out there, he just gives you an option that Bogdanovich isn't going to give you defensively. Um, he's not going to shoot the ball like Bogdanovich. Um, few people in the league really can, um, but he's a, you know, 38%, you know, guy, uh, 39% probably uh, in spot-up opportunities. And, you know, he can kind of give you that work off the ball. But I just on both ends, on or off the ball, he's functional uh, and helpful. Uh, and um, and that sometimes that's just, you know, uh, raising your floor, you know, in, in right. those minutes is kind of so, something that, that he does. The, the stuff that is less about the floor raising is his ability to hit a floater get into the middle of defense on offense, finish at the rim. That's the stuff where um, I don't know if Herter ever brings that. Uh, you know, Cam is so inconsistent kind of with his decision-making in the paint. Um, DeLon is just going to be solid uh, the whole way. Taking When when Trey draws a bunch of uh, defensive attention and that opens up the middle, like I said, we saw Herter and Bogdanovich get into the middle a lot in the postseason. Mm-hmm. He's going to do more at the rim than either one of those. You know, right. 
and he's just going to be a more reliable. I mean, I'd love to see Cam become a much better decision maker with the ball as he's kind of getting downhill, but it's wildly inconsistent right now. And DeLon just gives, is going to give you that stable, good, uh, making the right play, making the simple play. Uh, and that's just, I think, so valuable in minutes where Trey's getting um, taken out with two defenders or where he's off the court. Um, and, you know, it, it's funny, Kevin, I, I hate to talk about it because I love Herder on this team, but similarly to how we talked about Gorky's, maybe the scenario where Gorky's value is maximized if Clint has to miss some time, you know, if they no, can't we keep can't Herder on this team this just season. No, don't know where to, you can't even, that's no, you can't even talk about that on this podcast. I know it's, no. but, but what I'm saying is that if, if you need you know, someone who can help uh, reduce the impact of an attrition like that, DeLon is pr- a pretty good replication um, as a backup. You know, I heard her maybe a, a good starter as a guard one day in the league. I, you know, that's very possible, you know, and, and I'm bullish on him. But if you need a guy who can just be your third guard and be solid, and do the basic things you need from him and then add a little bit more like his uh, finishing at the rim and stuff like that. Pretty good. Now the, the, I want to be careful and say that DeLon Wright's only under contract one year, yeah, um, but they right. have his bird rights and will not, will not need cap space to, to, to bring him back. So it's just, uh, he's helpful this year. If Lou needs to not play a whole lot, drop him into that backup point guard spot. When Lou plays, you can drop him in. If, if Kevin's missing a game or two because of the injury or whatever that is, if Cam, can't kind of start putting it back together the way he did in those few games against Milwaukee. He's cam insurance for this year. So just, I mean, he can do so many different things competently enough and add some strong uh, rim finishing uh, that some of those guys just, I don't think ever will. And to get that in exchange for Bruno and Dunn. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty good. You, you know, you ro- that's a, that's a roster upgrade. That doesn't as, seem as supportive as I've been at Bruno all along as we all know. <laughs> Yeah, that that didn't seem like a fair trade. No, that's that's yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny. Some of the fans on Twitter like to talk about how Travis is playing forty or five D chess, you know, and so um, you know we can kind of we, we joked about Halliburton falling to Sacramento, which is where Delon came from, and Halliburton's growth as a guy who's going to do a lot of things like the DeLon Wright was envisioned to do. Right. Secondary creator, good size yep. as a guard, et cetera, yep. et cetera. Yep. Um, so taking a Kongwu, not taking Halliburton, put Halliburton into Sacramento, and now they basically get DeLon Wright, you know, for two guys who weren't really <laughs> playing last year. <laughs> so Travis may be on the 60 chess. And Sacramento had to put the pick in? Like, I, I don't even know. Like, wait, somebody had to put a pick in that trade, and it wasn't it wasn't the Hawks. Hawks got a second round pick. Hawks got a second round pick. Wow. Just like the Rondo, just like the Rondo and Lou trade. No, wait, the Hawks did put a second round pick in it, but then they, they? yeah, I take it back. Hmm. I'm getting old, Kevin. So my, my memory, you know, yeah, I'm definitely getting old, but even with I, a second I have round a pick. recollection of trying to figure out, it could have been one of three second round picks coming from somewhere. Um, we'll sort out the particulars later. Let, let me ask you this. So uh, I might understand that your impression is that DeLon definitely plays over Lou. 
Say it one more time. DeLon plays over Lou? I think it, I, I don't think there's one straight answer to that. Uh, I think that there will be um, – Lou will get his share of turns this year. Mm-hmm. I think DeLon will be fine not playing in those games. I think Lou will not be able to play in every single game this year. Probably, I should say, nor should he play uh, right. in every game um, this year. Um, and then DeLon takes on a bigger role, and he's just kind of happy. So I think it's kind of some – if I, the modern term, I think, in a non-basketball sense is job sharing. <laughs> Can I say that right. there'll be job sharing? Job sharing, huh? Is this a 50-50 job share, though? I, I think DeLon gets more minutes. I, I, I think yeah. I'd lean 60, 65%. Um, DeLon probably plays 500 more minutes, um, something like that, uh, just because I think Lou's going to need to be on his, off, off of his feet and, you know, weeks where they play four games, back-to-backs, three games and four nights and, you know, and stuff like that. I think, I think that's what will tilt the balance towards DeLon. Of course, what changes all of that is, uh, if Cameron's into more issues, they miss some time from Herder Bogdanovich with the injury. That swings everything. But in terms of straight back a point guard, I think it's, um, you know, 60-40 DeLon. How do you see it? Yeah, I mean, that, that seems about right. Uh, something like that. I, it's funny because it, requires a little bit of a brain shift. It's like, oh, wait, we have to talk about the Hawks as a playoff team now. And we could talk about what it means in the regular season, but we also kind of have to say, oh, well, you know, what will it look like in the playoffs? And I think sort of the line, you know, in the ideal scenario where people stay healthy and things go to plan, the long gets sort of first crack at backup point guard in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think that's where Lou's probably strongest value proposition is this year is just that if you need scoring in the playoffs, if you need, you know, just ball handling, a guy who's not going to be really, um, you know, affected by whatever playoff environment they might be in, Lou's just a guy you trust with that. I, I think Lou's going to be less that guy who gives you, you know, backup one minutes the whole season. You know, um, he's not going to be that guy that plays so much that he uh, is in the, you know, consideration for the sixth man of the year, like he was for a good four or five years or whatever that stretch was. Like he, that, I don't think that's who he is anymore. Um, but, you know, Lou and, and DeLon, just two pros, you know, when they play or not play, you know, go team. <laughs> and, you know, that, that, that's a great situation. And once again, just like Gorgie, DeLon's in a contract year. Uh, but I still think, you know, based upon his reputation, He's still not going to be pouting when he's not able to kind of get out and, um, you know, play as much as one might want to to really impact their their future market. So I, you know, like I like I said, I I, I mean, the, the sort of the herder insurance passed this year. I, I'm talking about herder being continuing to be so good, assuming they don't come to an extension agreement. Um, but is it crazy to think herder is going to? get like a McDonald's level contract, you know, Kevin. And, and if, if that's what he can get, can the Hawks accommodate that? <laughs> you know, that's, that's a real question. That's, that is a real question. That's not a question for tonight. That's a big, that's a big question. That, that takes more time than we have. That's, that's like, that's big. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited to watch them both. And, um, you know, you, when we when we talked about whether the Hawks would trade 
for example, Cam Reddish in the first round draft pick on draft night for a veteran guy. We talked about them getting more experience, not less experience. I think with both of these moves, that's what they've done. You know, you know, from Bruno as your third center to Gorky, that's a more experience, more reliable play there from Brandon Goodwin. If we want to kind of call that the spot that Delon came into, even though it's going to be at a different place in the pecking order and, and more viable as a combo guard than Goodwin ever would have been. You've gotten more experience and more competent to play at that spot. So I, I think that's exactly what you wanted to do apart from some, you know, massive mood where you consolidate young guys and get a star player might be available, which is, uh, you know, wildly unlikely <laughs> for every team of the year, you know, upgrade of Bruno to, um, you know, to Gorgie and maybe it's the, maybe it's Chris Dunn to DeLon if we want to talk about it that way, but Chris really just didn't play last year. So, and, and Chris really isn't a point guard in my view. So from Goodwin to DeLon and Bruno to Gorgie, win-win in my, in my view. Right. Um, that's a good place to end then. I think so. I don't know what, what sort of content we get over the next month, but uh, if stuff happens, we'll have to keep going. Oh, I did. I did look up that pick situation. So, okay. Where I was confused was the, the pick the Hawks got in the Rondo trade went out um, in the um, trade with Sacramento. Still so, well worth it. What's that? Still well worth it. Very much so. Yeah. They, so they they, they, they didn't three nickels into a quarter. <laughs> they did, and they got competent rotation players uh, in both. Uh, you know. Both in the free agent acquisition of Gorgi and then getting Delon. So, you know, uh, no real draft capital went out. It's just uh, they swung the asset they got in the in the Lou deal. So, good work, I think. Just wanted to close the loop on that before we wrap up. Good job. All right. Well, thank you for your time. I appreciate it, sir. Thanks, Kevin. Have a good night. And you.